You are listening to Off The Record, the podcast where we'll be exploring the culture and community of the underground dance music industry. My name is Michael Carter and I'll be chatting to individuals involved in the scene, discussing topics and issues that those face in our industry. In this episode, I've been joined by the part owner of the Unity Group, Chris Ansell, to discuss the evolution of rave culture. We talk about the differences of illegal and legal parties and how the music has adapted over the years. We also discuss the future of raving and how the Unity Group are attempting to save the culture by bringing back old school values into the mainstream of clubbing. Enjoy. I would describe underground dance music as music for people who are interested in stuff that isn't so mainstream and covered by the media. It's not so well known, it's not so like embedded in kind of musical culture. I think it's mainly just something which is out of the common eye in the kind of popular sphere. Underground dance music is about where it came from, where it started off, so it's much... You, I feel like you have to love it more than if you're in a club. A club is very accessible, whereas it's a bit more niche, a bit more specific. So, Chris, thanks for joining me today, mate. No worries. Before we get into the crux of things, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? So, my name's Chris, everyone calls me Ansel. I am one of the owners of Unity Group. We've got a radio, we've got a music label, um, we put on a lot of parties, uh, and now we own our own venue. So, um, yeah, that's what I do, and I just run around and make the place look good. So, when did you actually first get into dance music yourself, and how long has it been a passion? I mean, I can always remember having dance music in my life since, like, earliest memories, really. Mum and Dad big fans of dance music. Mm. So it's always really been a passion for me. I mean, when the days of like LimeWire and Napster were around, I mean, I was like, what, nine, 10, and I was downloading like Basement Jacks and Groove Armada and stuff then. So for me, it's always been quite a big passion. Um, I mean, my first ever event was Players. My first ever rave was Players in Fabric, which was DJ Hype's night at the time. I was 16. It was my mate's 18th birthday. I mean, that really sort of kicked it off for me. Like, it was dark, moody. It was everything you'd expect it to be from a from a drum and bass rave back in like 2006 or so. Yeah, yeah there or thereabouts. So yeah, I've sort of been getting involved ever since, really. No, very nice, mate. We love to hear it. going to have a bit of a chat about the evolution of rave culture uh, and the influences that it has on dance music and the industry as a whole. Um, nowadays, raves uh, have massive productions with big budgets in sort of like commercial clubs. However, this is, well, this is where they originated and it's not like that way nowadays. 
So underground get-togethers of music heads were held in sort of like various unexpected locations, as you would know yourself, such as abandoned warehouses, old farms, forests, and parking lots. Um, and you would obviously go to these locations by just getting getting on the phone and finding out where you're going to be heading for the night. So do you think that people went to raves for a different reason to what they do now? Yeah, definitely. Well, without a doubt. I mean, like you look back to then, it was like people going to raves to to meet up. Like this is before WhatsApp and texts and emails and do you know what I mean? Like if you were going to meet someone, you'd go down the pub or you'd go. But when you've got like such a broad spectrum of of people that are all on the same wavelength, but they're not living by each other. So when people were traveling around the M25, they were like going to meet all of these people that you would probably never see again, but you'd see them at the next rave. So, I mean, people were going there just to to meet up. And it wasn't like, so now people are going to events to be seen at an event. Do you know what I mean? They're not there for, mm-hmm. the, for the music or for, for catching up with pals. They're, like, they're there to be seen and to look cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not everyone, but it's a very large percentage of people. It's very, it's very much of a posery culture now. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of glorification around like, that sort of thing as soon as something gets popular in anyone's eyes then it's just like i've got to jump on that bandwagon and be a part of that and like you said there are people that are there for the right reasons but it's clear to see that there aren't so do you think that the sound has changed since the commercialization of music definitely changed 100 percent. i mean it depends what part you go to at the end of the day i mean if, if if you're going to something like it, it depends it depends who you're after really it, it depends what DJs you're going to see if you're going to see someone like Sonny Federa no offense Sonny Federa uh, big up yourself you know what you're getting yourself into it's going to be a more of a commercial sound but if you're going to say like a drum code event where it is literally underground stompers that you've never heard before yeah definitely and I mean do you think that other things tie into that like location and stuff like that as well and not just the DJ is it it's become like we said like it's this whole experience that you get yeah the full production yeah definitely yeah it's not just it's not just the music anymore people like need need more to get themselves there it's not just there to see their friends and listen to some good music they need more to keep them entertained I guess that's because they're not as into it as people were back back in the day and yeah 100% 100% mate I couldn't agree more so I mean besides social media like we discussed previously do you think there's any sort of other reasons as to why things have kind of gone down this commercial sense and stuff like that I guess because people want to get involved so you've got a lot of people who are like I feel like I've missed something here or because it's like a cultural thing now from the 90s people like want to relive that it's become more commercial because people want to experience that so it has to be more available to people so that makes it more commercial yeah i mean like in terms of commercialization and stuff like that i think like it's quite easy to go down the route there's a lot of negatives around it really like everyone wants that cool edgy sense of everyone going to this underground party and stuff like that but do you think there's actually there are quite a few benefits to the commercialization of music and the rave culture as a whole oh yeah definitely i mean you don't have your grandparents looking down on you because you're going to a rave anymore because it's sort of like almost a bit of a norm now do you know what i mean it's like yeah where do you where where's the difference between a club night and a rave now other than the music do you know what i mean it's, it's got to a point now where it's so normal that it is that's that's what it is yeah yeah of course i mean 
also from like not just the musical sense but like from a business perspective like yourself obviously you're part of unity group and you're running a garden project and things like that and like social media obviously makes promotion a lot easier like you boys aren't having to stand outside of clubs i'm assuming like at five in the morning and stuff like that i guess it's a huge benefit i guess for you guys although you do miss those glory days it's kind of a bit like, oh, right, this is a bit more straightforward. Like, you've got to pick your wins and your losses you yeah. know, at the end of the day. Definitely. of partying in a warehouse and Bill became rebellious and addictive. However, the introduction of the Criminal Justice Act in 1994, like I just said, encouraged the crossover into a commercial pub to make it legal. So do you think um, it is clear uh, that you were trying to bring back the old values of Project E um, events that you used to do? So taking it back another step, what is Project E and how did it come about? Well, Project T was some free parties we used to put out in the old quarries and stuff like that, in forests. And it was pretty much, for, for me personally, the reason of putting the parties on was just to get, again, going back to the old roots of getting people together and getting like-minded people together. And, and in a selfish way for myself, I never got a booking anywhere and I didn't know how to go about getting a booking. So... That was me sharing my music taste and, and putting on an event that I thought would be wicked and people would enjoy and less stress, no bouncers, no, it was more, it was all about, I knew everyone that was there and it was like the people who I knew there were going to be sound and you'd speak to everyone that was there and everyone would be having a good time and there was no stress and it was just a good vibe. It was all about the vibe. No, I think that's a brilliant vibe. Do you feel that like when you go into parties now in the commercial world that there's this definite feeling that uh you need to dress a certain way and you need to hold yourself a certain way to kind of like be in the click it was that something that you were trying to create in your brand you don't need to be this way you can be who you want to be you can listen to the music you want to listen to you can dress how you want to feel is that something that you were trying to translate through project a yeah, I think so. I mean, that's sort of how I just like to sort of translate myself in general. Uh, I've always been very much like that. Don't stick to any stereotype or everyone's always very confused when they meet me because they don't know if I'm a chav, if I'm like some posh boy or or what I am. So it's, especially at school, it was always a bit of a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, it definitely was about that. It was about like bringing a variety of people together who... You knew were all sound, you knew they'd get along, but you'd never see them in the same room. So putting on parties like that and inviting all those people together, they all really have the same morals and same beliefs. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel that you were starting to develop this crowd within those raves? I know from my personal perspective, going to different events over periods of time, everyone becomes a group that sees each other at these parties and you were almost creating an army of people that you knew had the same sort of mind process of you. Do you think that was something that was becoming apparent in what you were doing? 100%, yeah. I mean, you, you'd walk down the road and you'd see people and they were like, I'm real party the other day. And then you'd go and you'd, and you'd walk into town and then you'd see someone who is like the most bizarre person you'd ever meet. And they were like, oh, do you remember the other night? And I'm like, oh, to be fair, I don't even actually remember seeing you there. It was an army of people and they were all different. They were, everyone was different. Definitely. No, it's lovely to hear, mate. So 
I mean, now you're a part of a unity group, which owns Soundgarden Radio, Garden Project, and most recently, the Green Room. So what made you come over to the more commercial side of things? And can you tell us a little bit about Unity Group as a whole thing? Well, I mean, I'll start with the why I came over was just because um, it was getting a bit risky, really. And, and I didn't really want to get in trouble. That's why we started going legit. And to be fair, it felt good to go to the mainstream, I suppose. I mean, not to the mainstream, but just to be in clubs and to be doing doing it right. Yeah. I mean, you still look back on those as like the Project E days, like the glory days. But we're still doing that. We're still creating that same vibe and the same atmosphere. And we're still like putting on parties in woods and stuff, but it's now actually like a business model and we're just doing it legit. We're not messing around anymore. It's clear to see from what you told me so far that you are trying to translate onto your current crowd now. You don't want there to be any sort of like, oh, you have to dress this way or you have to talk this way. Would you call it a responsibility of the promoter? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the whole point of a party is expression and being able to be yourself. Yeah. To push that onto people is, is, is only a good thing, I suppose. You want people to be themselves and to, to let loose. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's about letting go of everything, isn't it? That's, that's the point of a party. A hundred percent, mate. I mean, what are some of the kind of things that you guys are bringing into your parties now to sort of bring back that old essence? Clubs out in Berlin doing different things like no phones and stuff like that. I mean, the aspects that you guys are bringing into your parties to make sure it's still got that Summer of Love 89 element where you are only there for music and it is everything that we spoke about previously. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the, the phone thing that you mentioned, I mean, that is definitely something we've been trying to push for the last few events. Yeah. Because so many people are stuck behind their phones and that's, what, what's the point? You, it's, again, it's just like you're showing off or you're trying to prove a point that you're, you're somewhere. Well, when really, like, when I, whenever I come back from an event, but I haven't got, I haven't got barely any memory of it or any pictures to show for it either. <laughs> yeah, of course. The, the venues that we're using as well. I mean, obviously now we've got the green room and we're doing bits here, but we're still putting on our series of events outdoors and, and, and just using creative spaces is something that I, I think gives a certain atmosphere and, and sort of translate that old style. You've got the Garden Project, which is your event side of things, yeah? And you've got the Green Room, which you say is your club. Tell us a little bit about Soundgarden Radio as well. What are you, what, what are you guys doing with that? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the radio is great. It's another thing that we're sort of... So, back in the day, you'd go to record shops, and that's how you'd socialise, and you'd, and you'd meet like-minded people. But we're very lucky with the fact that we've sort of built a community of DJs and like-minded people who are who are all into it for exactly the same reason and giving people a platform to actually play as well especially obviously in the current conditions there's a lot of creatives DJs anyone who puts on events is sort of out of work as such so i mean giving DJs and artists a platform to be able to perform is, is something that we're really proud of and something we're we're pushing forward at the minute it's just a nice environment to be in. It's something I'm really proud of and it's something it's quite hard to put into words about what we're doing with the radio, but we're definitely making progress with it. And I, I think as soon as we go onto FM and DAB, I don't think there'll be any stopping us. With the rise of COVID, there has been a year of people not being able to party, but like we used to be able to. 
Um, so with people eager to party, we have seen a rise of virtual festivals and live stream, also an increase of illegal parties as well. In your personal perspective, how do you see the future of raving? Well, I mean, I certainly hope it goes back to normal. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be invested in a new venue if I wasn't thinking it was going to be going back to normal. <laughs> yeah, keeping everything crossed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been doing that for months now, but I feel like the live stream thing is, is definitely going to die a death as soon as COVID is gone. But do you feel like virtual festivals and live streams are just too far down one line of this digitized world that we're coming into now with like social media and things? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're ready for it. The best thing I've seen in terms of virtual festivals is what LWE are doing, which are the big boys in London. They're doing an actual VR virtual festival. So at least you feel like you're in the moment and you can sort of see it. But at the same time, you're never going to have that same feeling the actual bass going through you and, and having your friends with you. And like, there's nothing better than being in the middle of a rave and like turning around to your friends and you're both feeling exactly the same. And you just be like, I love you, mate. And you just give them a hug. You're never going to get that from a virtual festival, are you? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's moments like that, which is what a rave is all about. Is that something that you worry about then? Yeah. Say this carried on for another five years. Think that there's going to be a whole age gap of kids who haven't gone out raving, haven't gone to clubs, and they're not going to know what they've missed. So they're not going to be in that same mindset as us, where we live for the festival, we live for the rave, and we, and we want to be with our friends because they don't know any different. Yeah, definitely. Like people are going to be used to having masks on all the time, and people are going to and people aren't going to want to go out and be in rooms full of people because it's going to make people feel anxious and and not safe we've now got to like jump back into it and we've got to be like this is what you've missed out on this is what you've got to look forward to come and join us otherwise there is that chance of it sort of dying out isn't there yeah definitely that's sort of how we've got to this do you know what i mean because we hear people saying like oh i went to this party back in the 90s and it was the maddest thing and then you think back and you're like cool i wonder if if I would ever experience anything like that. So hopefully, if we keep talking and we keep pushing it, then it won't ever get lost. Yeah, definitely. I know you're probably going to say no, mate, but do you think that there is a chance that rave culture could potentially die out? I can't really see it, personally. People always want to dance. You can't not dance. If you've got the groove, you hear a tune, you have to dance. Like Even if you're tapping your foot. I know that's a mile away from a rave, but raving can't stop, surely. Uh, would you be upset? If like, because you're a house music head yourself, you said that like originally you were going to like drum and bass and jungle events and things like that. But would you be upset if like the house music world died out, but there was this new evolution of music? Would you be ready for that yourself? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, like the thing is though with with dance music is it always sort of goes around in circles, doesn't it? I mean, I'm all up for a, for a new something new I'm always up for something new don't get me wrong I'm always up for something new as long as it's not virtual as long as it's not virtual yeah don't need that <laughs> none of that I'm ready for whatever the world's going to chuck at me let's just have it let's get COVID out of the way and let's just move on there's no time to waste you've got to take everything on the chin and pay it by ear and all these different other expressions of however you want to put it and I don't think there's sort of time to be wasted we've just got to kind of find our best way of doing it and get stuck in any which way it comes because it's a surprise around every corner in the day, really, isn't it? 100%. You just don't know what's going to happen. Like, no one saw this coming. We are now going to have a little bit of fun. 
and finish up with some quick fire questions for you, mate. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Tell me the first thing that comes into your head. So if you could after party with one person, who would it be and why? Scream, of course, because um, he is very well known for his after parties for six days on the trot. Uh, Don't stop that man. Um, I mean, I I had the pleasure of meeting him in the summer and uh, he is as wild as you think he'd be. How many days do you reckon you'd last? Not very long these days. <laughs> Not very long these days at all. Walk <laughs> out there with a Zimmer frame. <laughs> so um, if you could put an event on anywhere in the world, where would you do it? Pikes in Ibiza because it is known to be the epicenter of hedonism in Ibiza and I'm all about that. No, very nice, mate. Very nice. So in terms of aspirations for booking with the Green Room and the Garden Project, Who's at the top of the list of priorities for yourself? Carl Cox, of course. It's top of the top of the oh, list. Cox yeah, of course. of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Take your mortgage out now. Yeah, we haven't got that kind of money. <laughs> Not yet. But yes. So thank you very much for joining me today, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to yourself and getting an insight on your perspective of dance music and how the illegal rave culture has evolved over the many years. I wish you all the best of luck with Soundgarden Radio, the Garden Project and the Green Room. I'm sure you're going to be doing some amazing things. Thank you very much, mate. You will have to get you down to the Green Room and come play set at some point. That's it for today. Thank you guys for listening. You can subscribe to us on Apple Music and Spotify Podcasts if you've enjoyed it. And please leave us a rating and review. It'd be very much appreciated. We love to see it. And until next time, guys, have a good one.